0: Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things The Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at TFRBatPod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or even suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can find us by our email. That's just send those emails to TFRBatPod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Joseph Fornerado. Joe, it is the first day of spooky season officially because it's October 1st.
1: How are you? I'm good, Eric. October 1st, finally, and... uh We finally have a sunny day here in New Jersey for the first time in like two or three weeks. It's been a pretty miserable couple of weeks. I don't know how people in Seattle do it because it was uh, I felt like that's where we were the last couple of weeks. But today was beautiful. It was first uh, perfect first day of spooky season. I got to fit in some movies and and now we get to talk about a pretty uh, creepy book in a in a sense. Maybe I don't know. Well, there's such
0: death and gloom and doom, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I not to tangent to the weather too much, but you had uh, you had some people transitioning from bus stop to house and boats the other day, didn't? you?
1: <laughs> yes, it was. So we had a tropical uh, storm come up the coast last week, and then just nonstop rain from that point on. And then we had a ton of rain this weekend on top of it. Um, just an uh, I guess it was a nor'easter, I don't know, but it was just it was just lingering and lingering. and yeah, ton of rain. We had streets flooded, and luckily it washed away and it wasn't windy or anything like that. so it wasn't a lot of damage, but just a ton of water, a lot of like basements flooded and stuff like that. Luckily, I'm good. My wife kept all of my stuff away from the wall and was great while I was working. No damage to any of my comics or my memorabilia. So I'm very happy after what we just went through over the weekend. So that's hats off to, to my hear. wife for that.
0: Yeah, that's good to hear. I don't know that there's many heartbreaking stories more uh more hurtful than hearing Jamie Druly talking about the, the great basement flood and all those comics that he lost. Oh I can't. And you imagine. know
1: what's you know what's so sad about it too is you hear those stories and you're like, okay, I'm not gonna keep stuff in my basement. But you have to like there's I don't have anywhere else to put it. So I I try to have all these, you know, different, um, you know, safeguards in (laughs) for the for where I put stuff. And luckily, I'm pretty lucky so far with where I'm at. But uh, everything's off the ground, at least, except for the comics. And I just move them away from the wall when I know we're getting rain. So I haven't had any issues, knock on wood. Nice.
0: Well, let's move on from weather. And uh, before we do get into the main topic of our episode today, I did want to let you guys, our listeners uh, know again about our partner sponsor. And that of course is organic priced books. Uh, Joe, we're talking about a big book today. And if you're looking for oversized hardcovers or graphic novels of these big uh, seminal stories, the best place to do that is to go to Organic Priced Books. They are a small business that believes in giving back to the readers. And a, a great way uh, to give back to this show, if you're listening, is to support us and save some money while you're buying these books. And go to Organic Price Books. Just use the link in the description of this podcast. And we have two promo codes. You can use the first, TFRBATPOD to save $2 on any order and you can use our second TFR bat pod, ship it together. If you're buying three or more books, you can bundle it, save 5% on your total order, but that is organic priced books. And Joe, I know you and I have bought several uh, very large collection books here recently and those things get expensive. So it's great to have a place where not only can we, uh, get some support
1: from our listeners but also save them some money in the process don't you think yeah definitely and we were talking about it on our last episode about um batman under the red hood had that deluxe hardcover come out and it's Mm -hmm. a little relevant with what we were just talking or what we're going to talk about today but i did um i did bite the bullet and buy that one i did not need it in the least i have the trade but i could not resist the deluxe uh, version and i'm glad that i have it sitting on my shelf now
0: it's a huge book too. I
1: didn't it really is.
0: I think it's bigger than the because uh, I had the the soft cover. I don't anymore. I think you still do, but that mm-hmm. I think it's bigger than the soft cover.
1: Oh yeah, um, because it includes the lost days. That's right. Uh, the, the the trade did not have that, so I now own that, and that was my justification for buying it, along with it being in hardcover for no reason whatsoever. But um, it's nicer to have the hard covers on the shelf.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I will say one huge huge benefit of, of organic price books is that you can actually pre-order these books. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of these discount comics uh, websites, the collected edition websites, you can get them Um, But it's a toss-up of whether they'll be available, you know, day of if if you're not right online when they drop. But with organic price books, you can actually pre-order. So you're guaranteed to get it and you're guaranteed to get it at the discounted price. So once again, go check out our link in the description of this podcast. Use our promo codes, save yourself some money, and support TFR in the process. But Joe, the time is finally here. Let's get to the topic at hand, of course. It's been 35 years since this story came out. It was way back in 1988. But we are talking about today the milestone Batman story, a death in the family. Right, Joe so we've been kind of you you came across this so tell me what jogged your memory because uh we were thinking about what to do on some upcoming episodes and I think you brought it to my attention right hey a death in the family is uh it's
1: got an anniversary this year I want to say I saw it on either a DC account on Instagram or Twitter and I because we've most of the time at the beginning of the year, we kind of go through the calendar and try to figure out what anniversaries are coming up and this and that and um, I definitely try to figure out like holes in what we're gonna cover and and you know plug those holes with random anniversaries and stuff and and when we did that, I don't think this ever came up, so I think I just texted you saying, "Hey, how did we miss this' because we did what do we did we do a Jason Todd episode?
0: I think we uh, yeah. I think we did, because um, I remember talking specifically about Jason Todd. I think we did kind of like a kind of like we did with the Dick Grayson. We did exactly. like a uh, uh, anniversary of him or something like that.
1: But yeah, I just saw that it was the anniversary of this story. And I'm like, wow, like how how did we miss that? And I looked it up and sure as hell, yeah, 25 years, which is pretty crazy. I mean, this is one of 35 Oh, 35. No. Yeah. 88. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're getting old. 35. Wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Yeah. Pretty crazy to think about that. Cause this is one of those, this was actually one of the first stories that I read that introduced me to Jason Todd, because it was kind of one of those things where when I was getting into comics, I didn't even know there were multiple Robins. And the first mm. way I came across that was, Oh, there was a Robin that died. And like the first introduction to that was reading this book for me.
0: Right. Yeah. And so the way it falls, because it was released between August and November of 1988. So technically, we're right in the middle Mm -hmm. of the release schedule uh, for the 35 years. Uh, So the next upcoming book would have been book three, which is the big one. Mm -hmm. Um, So we all know we all know by this time what happens. Of course, they killed off Jason Todd in the third issue. So we're coming up on the 35th anniversary of that specific issue, which I think is is pretty cool. Um but yeah, this was again released between August and November of 88. It was Batman 426 through 429. And of course, it was written by Jim Starlin and penciled by Jim Aparlo and inked by Mike DeCarlo. Um and it has some amazing covers by uh I always mess up his name. Mignola.
1: Oh, Mike Mignola. Mignola. Mike
0: yeah. Mignola. 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 I,
1: so <laughs> I don't know how he pronounces it. I have a tendency to pronounce everything the Italian way, even if it's a Spanish name, I pronounce it the Italian way, but Mignola would be the Italian way, but most people Americanize it and say Mignola. I don't know. Yeah. Either way, uh, the
0: artist most famous for Hellboy, I would say. Yeah. Um. But I I think just to kind of get it out of the way I think my favorite part about these books may be the covers I love the covers of these books because I mean and I have I have the originals here and we are on camera for this episode of Joe and I so do. so you can actually uh, so you can <laughs> actually see me showing off my covers here Jeff because you, you but,
1: love to show off those covers to me I, I think you have sent me pictures of those numerous times so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think what's
0: what stands out about these covers is when you see them, I mean, it it, it is without a doubt, you know what the story is. I mean, it's got a, it's got a very, I don't know. The layout is unique to this story. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't see this anywhere else. And then just the, the style of them. I mean, like obviously book three, you know exactly what's going on there with the bloody Robin, but then like the, the fourth book with, joker looking very dapper it's like okay what's going on here Mm. but i don't know mignola i think he just knocked it out of the park with these covers i really like these covers
1: and i got to admit uh up until you just said it i don't think i ever realized that it was mike mignola um that did the covers for these i always knew it was a jim aparo story And I am kind of mad at myself for not knowing it because looking at it, it's definitely not Jim Aparo, but I just kind of took these covers for granted because I've just known them for so long. I never really paid attention to who did them. Really? Yeah, that's pretty, uh, you know, I'm definitely uh, self-deprecating here, Um, you know, definitely hurting myself by saying this, but uh, yeah, I got (laughs) to admit when I'm wrong
0: that's interesting i mean and and when you notice it i mean you can't help but notice once you know it's him i mean because he's yeah. got a very walt disney style autograph and yeah, his it's right name there on the front <laughs> yeah. the
1: autograph is right there and you can tell the style of the way he draws batman is pretty obvious yeah
0: for sure i think it's the mouth because i've always noticed the that cow, like the neck yeah,
1: for me yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, because it, it it reminds me a lot of his Hellboy. Just a mm-hmm. very flat line mouth and the thick neck. Um, but anyway, I did want to ask you, because you and Ryan Lauer on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, brought this to my attention. So I'm actually going to steal this little mini-game, I'll call it, from the Batman Book Club. And I want to talk about how you read this book. Um, because I, of course, I have the deluxe edition uh, that came out two years ago now so that's how I read it um but I think you read it a little differently right
1: so yeah I have the DC Comics Classics Library Edition um which is it's got a, the now does yours have a dust cover or a dust jacket
0: it does it's not on there right now okay but.
1: yeah I always take mine off when I read it too I'm looking at it now but like yeah so it's this one with the uh, it always had that blue cover on the top and the, the spine with the blue on top and the yellow, mm-hmm. uh, they, did, they did a couple of these. And, and I, yeah, so I did read it through this. I did not read it digitally. Um, this is how I chose to read it. I had never read this uh, book since I got it. Um, oh, wow. I have the original, I think it's the original, the black trade with just the four issues in it. Um, mm-hmm. It has the iconic, you know, Batman holding the dead Robin on the cover. Um, and it's just black, and it just says uh, Batman and Death in the Family, I believe. That was the edition that I always had. Uh, it was the first time I read it. That was what I had, and I don't think I'd... I may have read it digitally since then, but I don't think I ever read it in this version before, and I want to say your version has something different than mine as far as the... Mine has that extra page of what would have happened if Robin was alive. Mm-hmm. I want to say you have one more addition on yours than what is in mine. There's something else added on yours. Now I'm... Ha- um, I feel like we've talked about this before because mine, it just says... All right, now I got to go to it. Oh, that he's
0: alive, thank God. Is yes. that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah. I want to say yours is a little bit different than mine. So I've got
0: in in the back of this and the extras of this book, um, you have you have the actual panels that Aparo drew. Mm-hmm. So you have the whole layout. I don't know if that's in yours or not.
1: No, it's not mine. Okay, is so the so you
0: page. you just have that one panel. Yes. Yeah. So this no, so, is uh, the, so
1: it's the layout. I have the yeah. layout. Uh huh. Um. It says he's alive. Thank God. Mine's in color.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got that as well, but it's got the, it's got the rough sketch with it as well. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, so it does have, you know, it has the story about how they laid it out. And of course it's I my favorite part of this particular book. You have the ad where you could call in
1: uh, okay. and,
0: and kill him or not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but there's been a bunch of versions of this released. Um, but what I thought was interesting is you and Ryan were discussing the differences in the art. So I wanted to talk about that just briefly because I was noticing when I was just thumbing quickly through because I didn't want to read too much in my actual uh, floppies. Mm-hmm. But just looking at the art, it's a lot different than what's in this deluxe edition. So I wanted to to talk to you about that because I think you were telling Ryan that you prefer the classic art over the punched up art
1: that they have in the new versions? So not necessarily the art, the paper. So I oh, want to say my trade, and I don't even know if I still have that or not. I should have looked. That might have the glossy paper. Did yours have the glossy paper? No. So the deluxe it's has got the, the heavy construction paper. It does.
0: Yes. But the coloring is redone. It's got very vibrant, Oh. Uh, it kind of like the Neil Adams, how they do sometimes with the with the newer versions that are released. The color is completely redone and it's kind of punched
1: up from what it was originally. So I think they're always punched up to an extent because back then. And I don't know the terms of this. It's when they had like the dotted colorings, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I prefer it to be touched up from that. But mine doesn't look vibrant like those Neil Adams recolorings are very vibrant. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to look and see like what the digital version looks like because the digital versions are always the the recolorings and the big vibrant colors. But this is a little mine looks a little bit more muted than yours does. I mean, right? This this looks a little less colorful than yours. Um. Yeah, I would. I would say that that's
0: a, even even punched up from the original because I mean the original. Oh yeah. Just it's it's it. I mean, you can tell it's just it, it's very
1: flat. Yes. So I think like mine is like that happy medium. <laughs> yeah. Where they might have gone a little bit further with yours.
0: Yeah. Um. But I will tell you, with Jim Aparo's art, I think the deluxe edition is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I mean, they really, and I don't know how at that point, if it's really DeCarlo's inks, you know, if it's,
1: if it's punched up to this level, how they do that. Yeah. Like who's, who's doctoring this stuff up, even the colorists, like it's, it's Mm -hmm. very different. So it's, it's interesting to give credit to the original colorist when you're basically redoing their work entirely.
0: Yeah. But either way, I mean, I've looked at the original comics. I've looked at my deluxe edition, they're both, I mean, it's it's gorgeous. It's very beautiful art, even though, and I think you and I have talked about this. Aparo, I respect the hell out of Jim Aparo. I do think it's a signature style, but he's not my preferred artist for Batman. Mm-hmm. I think there's some facials, even with Robin sometimes, where like one eye is way bigger than the other. And I know it's kind of a look he's going for, but it always throws me a little bit. So while I respect it and I do see why he is such a revered artist, it's not my preferred style.
1: Yeah. I, this is kind of, um, it's one of those things. Like I'm going to do a music analogy where my dad used to always say, and this is probably going to get me crucified too. My dad's a big music guy. And he always used to say like, you know, people would ask him "Do you like black Sabbath. He's like, no, I'm a Led Zeppelin fan. Why would I listen to black Sabbath? If I could listen to Led Zeppelin, like to me, like he would compare the two, and he'd be like, "No, I don't need to listen to both. Like I'm getting what I need from the one." To me, I compared Jim Aparo to Norm Brayfogle, and while mm. like to me, Norm Brayfogle, if I'm gonna look at that style of a Batman artist, and this is not a slate to Jim Aparo, it's just that to me, I think Norm Brayfogle is my choice between the two. So I think just I personally slight. Um, Jim Aparo probably unfairly because just because one is a little bit less than the other doesn't make him bad I just always gravitate when you're, when you're picking your top five Batman artists if you're going to do that you're picking in my opinion I would pick five drastically different styles so yeah. I'm never going to put Aparo on my Mount Rushmore of Batman artist because if I do it's going to be Bray Um, and I'll go completely like drastically different with all of my artists and they're so similar with their styles that I just always lean towards Brave And, but again, reading this, I think this is a best work. Um, I think I'll agree with that. I think some of his like, um, you know, obviously this is all taking place in the Batman title, but this was a, a seminal book. This was something that I, hopefully he knew what he was getting himself into with this book. And he did put a little bit more into this one, because I do feel like this is, him at his best, or maybe it's because this is the one that's been doctored up. And maybe that's why I kind of lean towards this looking really nice. Cause I will say, did and again I'm kind of putting you on the spot, did Aparo do the art for year three? Or was that George Perez? I know George Perez did the covers for year three, but I don't remember if he did I should look that. But like I remember and that's a book um Speaking of like how the original art was, I had the original um, floppies for year three. I can't read them. The ones I have are really poor quality and it's actually hard to read the word bubbles on the version I have. So that one mm-hmm. I, I prefer to read uh, digitally. And unfortunately, that's a book that is just hard to find. So year three was penciled by Pat Broderick. Oh, okay. George, George Perez did the covers. I knew he did the covers. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I did not know who did the, uh, the actual story then. Well, so- and to
0: your point there, cause you didn't know, and I didn't know either, but during, dur- the, during, this era and the eras before it, there was always a house style mm-hmm. for the art and everybody would tailor their stuff to the house style. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I'm glad that's not a thing anymore because I like all the, all the variations we get between like, you can read Batman right now and detective comics and you can get two completely different art styles
1: exactly there's like a there's a there's a a map to follow based on the suit the and suit like, yeah those type of things like not necessarily style but like the color of this has to be this he has to have the oval he doesn't have to have the oval that kind of stuff there's there's something to follow but yeah i i prefer that they let each artist do what they want to do and you're right like and i know um we're not the first person people to say this. I know Ryan has talked about it numerous times on his show. Year three is a book that for some reason just keeps getting left out of all of these um, collections. So like mm-hmm. my collection has a lonely place of dying in it, which is awesome. I'm assuming yours does too. Correct. It like, does. He, yeah. So like for whatever reason, year three keeps being left out of that.
0: Yeah. And it is like, I mean, you can read uh, a death in the family you can read year three go into lonely place of dying and then you can go into under the red hood and it's almost like a a, yeah. a continuous story yeah. i agree with you there and i wish we did get year three collected because it, it it seems like we never we never get it um but back to that and the last thing i'll say on this point i agree with you about the Brayfogle thing i think when you've got this house style Brayfogle was the gold standard of that and then everybody else is just kind of, in my opinion, they were doing their best Bray Fogle. So
1: well, Did Aparo precede Bray Fogel? I'm not sure. But either way, I mean, Bray yeah. Fogel was the best that did this yeah. style. Coming from opinion. our perspective, because we weren't reading these when they came out, we right. looked at these at the same time. And that's unfortunate because it wasn't like we we loved um, Aparo and then Bray Fogel came along. We looked at them at the same time and it kind of, yeah. you know, but... But yeah, that's. Uh, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to make it seem like we're hating on Aparo because I no 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 because
0: I do, I do like the art. It's great. Uh, it's just not again my preferred style. But let's talk about uh, let's talk about this story because I think you've said it many times. I, we may have talked about it in our Jason Todd episode. This story is known for one thing, and one thing only, and that's. Of course, the impact of the death of Jason Todd. Outside of that, I think this is a pretty meh story, if I'm honest. Um there's there's a lot going on here with Jason Todd being mad at Batman and, and kind of lashing out as a teenager and wanting to try to find his parents, and then he finds out that his mom is still alive and that his the mom that died was a a stepmom i guess mm-hmm. and he's on the hunt for his mother and that's what leads him to uh the middle east and the joker and of course the whole situation that happens but i just want to kind of since we just reread it i wanted to get your thoughts on the story itself cuz to me it's a very important story not
1: necessarily a great story well i will say funny enough I agree with everything you said. And I think I've said it so many times throughout the years. I was pleasantly surprised while rereading this, that I think it came across as a much better story than I remember. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I do think there is a lot going on here that like, I, I did like, I, I always remembered the story with his mom, but I don't remember how it connected to the Joker and all that stuff. And it's, um, it's weird because like, I remembered the, the Joker being this weird. Um, what does he get? Like diplomatic immunity. I remember that being much more part of the story than it was. That was almost like an afterthought, like in the fourth issue. Yeah. And I also don't remember this book being as long as it was. I think the first two issues are both double issues. And, but they didn't feel long to me. It felt like a good sized story. And it, a lot more happens before the death of Jason than I remember. Mm -hmm. And I just, yeah, I, I think because over the years, so much has been said about how it's more about just the death of Robin than anything else. I actually did enjoy reading the story for the first time in a long time. Well, that's awesome. Um, I, again, I, I
0: wish I had that experience. I just think, you know, I do, I appreciate the uh, going into the story. Um, the. I guess the 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 trail of of Robin trying to track down his mother. I appreciate all that. I think it's when we get into that fourth chapter that it kind of it kind of becomes uh, OK for me, yeah. um, because when Joker becomes the ambassador, I know why they did it. They need a reason to explain why Batman's not immediately beating this guy to a bloody pulp (laughs) be after what he did to robin um and i do i actually think one of my favorite parts of the of the entire story is superman talking batman off the ledge Mm -hmm. like because he's ready to say you know forget the the un forget diplomatic immunity and he's actually he's ready to straight up he talks about it in the book he is ready to murder joker Mm -hmm. over what happens which you know people that get on their high horse about what Batman would do. I mean, he was ready to do it here. So I think it shows the impact of what's happened to Jason, but the whole thing with him becoming like this ambassador for, I can't even remember what Middle Eastern country, but it was a little hokey to me. So it's like, I think it would have been a little more impactful had we had a sobering issue for, of like soaking in, my God, Robin is dead, you know?
1: Yeah, that's a good point because it seems like the focus on issue four is more about Batman trying to get after the Joker and all that hokey stuff. We don't really focus on the death of Jason at all Mm. um, as far as the emotional impact. Um, I do apologize if you hear my son (laughs) uh, flipping out upstairs. But but yeah, he... um, But I guess because I, like I said, I I think it's most, most of this is because I expected so much worse than it really was in for me. I forgot how much this, um, how much Superman played in to part four. Mm -hmm. Um, I did like the aspect, I liked the whole, you know, the trickery they used to get the Joker in the end, I think was really smart and, you know, the whole, uh, you know in the court, they knew he was gonna do something. And if I remember correctly, what is he? He he releases the Joker gas and and Superman inhales it all. And yeah, then, um, inhales it and flies away. Yeah, and then flies away to, to release it somewhere. And I think that's a smart way to get the um Superman to leave. So then Batman and Joker have their conflict. I think that was cool. Um, so yeah, it just seems like unfortunately other than robin's death the stuff surrounding robin's death is very separate from robin's death it's the whole story is not focused on right it's really just that fourth issue because the everything leading up to the death of jason is focused on jason for the most part um yes but you're right in the fourth issue it it becomes that's where it kind of loses its steam a little bit um and he he's killed at the end of issue three, correct? Or is it uh, the end of e- issue two? Now you've got no. Yeah, it's uh, now. It's. I think it's the end of issue three, and issue four ends really abruptly. Yeah, because because that issue... was my biggest complaint was issue four ends really abruptly. Ye-
0: yeah, yeah, I think you're right there, because, well, and the big thing what you were mentioning earlier. Is the first two books, the first two issues are double size issues.
1: So it is so there's, the end of issue two.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because the issue three is where you find out he's actually dead. Yes. Um, and that's so it's got right, the bloody so it's,
1: so it's issue three and four that are both where it meanders. hmm Yeah.
0: Yeah, because once you get the impact of he's dead, then it goes into it kind of drags from there on. But what's interesting to me is issues one and two are double issues because there's six chapters uh-huh. in this story. Issues three and four are chapters five and six. Yeah. What's odd to me is I've never seen a story in comics constructed that way where you have two double issues and then two, you know, regular size issues. And it's almost like they wanted to make a six issue story. Um, And I, I can't, confirm nor deny this but it seems like they wanted to make it six issues but dc didn't want to do something
1: like that i don't know um it's just so weird reading it because i kept thinking like oh wow i'm already on issue three no i was it was the beginning of issue two Mm -hmm. um like i didn't realize i was still like i i didn't even pay attention to the fact that i didn't get to the cover yet um because sometimes the the books don't actually break it into sections with the cover sometimes they just want it to be seamless Um, and then when I got to the cover for issue two I was like oh wow wait what just happened and I like that they number the pages on the collection because that doesn't happen all the time they left the numbers in the corner so that Mm -hmm. helped a little bit to try to figure out what was going on Um, and I know we're kind of jumping all over the place here but I wanted to ask you while I'm thinking about it what was your take on the funeral why is nobody there (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> number one and number two why is barbara and commissioner gordon there
0: so my thoughts on that without because i don't i don't have an explanation for you my there's th-
1: not a big turnout for the funeral had no idea how to contact any of sheila's old friends makes sense and jason's life was too short for his passing to cause many ripples well, cause he wasn't, he wasn't a part of the Titans well, the, or anything he like that. has to say strictly Jason. Yeah. Now, again, I get that. I get that Jason would not have a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. Why would commissioner Gordon? And again, I don't remember what was going on with comics in the eighties and maybe someone could help us out. Why would commissioner Gordon be at Jason Todd's funeral? Um, Not Robin's funeral. <laughs> jason todd's funeral my only my only
0: i guess the only place i can go with that is because bruce wayne and and commissioner
1: gordon are friends maybe yes and then barbara came too yeah and that was probably to support bruce yeah because at this point barbara obviously knows jason is robin yeah she would have to i don't remember if at this point did commissioner gordon know I don't know. I I I don't know. I would have to look back through. Now I'm trying to remember if he knew when Barbara was first paralyzed because it's been a while since I read like that that annual where Batgirl hangs up her cowl and basically retires right before she's crippled by the Joker. I'm wondering Mm. if that's when I'm wondering if in that time, Canon at that point was he knew because that's changed a lot over the years. Well, and
0: this book was not long after. Uh, the killing joke no, because there's a yeah. lot of reference at the beginning of this book to what the Joker has done.
1: Yeah. They made Barbara. that canon really quickly huh? because it wasn't supposed to be
0: right. Yeah, they, they, yeah exactly.
1: they pivoted very quickly with that,
0: which, which means if you look at this canonically, the Joker has done some pretty awful stuff to the bat family in pretty quick succession. Yes. Cause it, cause they, they make it a point that the Joker has just, he like he, this is why he was in prison or in Arkham was uh-huh. for killing um, or for shooting Barbara. Yeah. So he got out after that event. Um. So yeah, it's, it's, it's quick succession there. And I will say one thing that I thought, and I don't, I, I don't know if you thought this at all, or or if you agree with me, but reading the way that Jason is portrayed early on in this story, just his attitude, his defiance, It really reminded me of Curran Walters and his take on Joker or uh, not Joker, uh, Red Hood and, and Jason Todd and Robin from that era. I think Curran Walters, after reading this again, I think his performance is even more the better because it reminds me so much of his his portrayal in this book. So give it up to Curran Walters for that.
1: It's it's weird because every time we go back and look at stories from this era, I think like Titans nailed it. And all we do is hear about people hating on that show. And yeah, it's a little over the top maybe with the way they handle, you know, Dick being angry at Bruce or, you know, Jason being the the rebel that he was. You know, they're, they're kind of taking that that teen angst to an 11 because of the, the freedom they have with the R rating and all that. But it's pretty spot on with this era i mean dick doesn't even come to jason's funeral in this version so they were clearly not on great terms at this point um you know jason was getting you know so bad to the point where batman sidelines him they're like it, it was doing a lot of that stuff and i i love going back and reading this era um once in a while, just because it, it does kind of put that stuff into perspective more than because sometimes we have a tendency to remember these things really incorrectly or, you know, just go by what is assumed or what is just constantly talked about rather than actually going by what is happening in these books.
0: So there is a foreword called a death in the family choices in the deluxe edition. I don't know if it's in yours or not. Uh, it was done by Scott Peterson in 2020. So Um, but he talks about specifically the reason, reasoning behind why Tim Drake was how he was portrayed Mm -hmm. is that they were fixing the mistakes of Jason Thomas. And some of that was having him being accepted by Dick Grayson, getting Dick Grayson's approval because apparently Jason never had it. It was not very well received from Dick that this new kid was Robin. So to your point there, I think that was something that stuck in the craw of Batman fans at the time.
1: Yeah, and I know Batman fans didn't like. It's funny, too, because everything was like it was. I don't know what the consensus was on pre-crisis Jason, because pre-crisis Jason was just Dick Grayson 2.0. Um, he was an acrobat. He um, looked just was, was pre-crisis the one where they actually dyed his hair to make him look like. Dick, uh, Grayson I, I believe it was Probably I think there, so <laughs> There's some weird stuff with that And then you come back from uh, Crisis And they do a whole new revamp And this is the Jason that we all know And and um, you know can Can kind of gather As far as the history Of this story But Yeah he was always angsty And that kind of stuff I knew I never really paid attention to his Relationship with Dick Cause I don't think you like you, I can't think of a time where you even see them interact Mm. because I think Dick was pretty much out of the bat books by that point. So I would have, and I haven't read, I, when I was first getting into like a lot of back issues, I bought like 408, 409, like all those great Jason Todd stories with two face and all that. I should really go back and try to read them and see like there's the famous one where he pushes the guy off the ledge and it's like controversial of whether he pushed him or not. Um, he, they pushed the guy off the balcony. You know that story, right? Or, you know, of yeah. the story at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have all those uh, single issues actually. And now it's so much easier just to be able to go on DC universe and read it. Um, I should go back and see what the deal is as far as his relationship with Dick, what it was actually on paper, as opposed to what we, we think we remember or what we think it was. Because, yeah, there's no doubt that Tim Drake was a huge course correction. They luckily gave him his own identity, but they wanted someone that was much more pleasing and much more... Um, he had a much more uh, subordinate relationship with Batman. And not in a bad way, he just he wanted to be there. He respected everything that was going on in that cave and and with the manners that Batman tried to conduct themselves. That was a huge course correction because nobody liked the fact that Jason was, I mean, he just had his own personality, which is kind of ironic that like they made him well, so different. You say that, but
0: see, one of the things in this forward, which was eye opening for me is Jason Todd was very unevenly portrayed because um, Scott Peterson talks about how Jim Starlin did not like Jason Todd. Mm-hmm. And he wrote him as if he did not like him. Okay. Um. And then you would go and read Bernie Wrightson, and he
1: was a very upbeat, happy, um, you know, oh, okay. ready to
0: get in the game, Robin.
1: So, so it's so, kind of revisionist history that we all just assume he was always the the little. I S, think, for lack of a better, term? I think
0: what was going on is um, because Starlin did write him very differently in the cult. But it, yes. it's it sounds like it was a mandate for him to be written that way in, in the, cult. the
1: cult. You honestly wouldn't know it was Jason Todd other than the few times it says Jason Todd in the book. Right. That's like the so, one big Batman story that includes Jason Todd.
0: And I think that might have been a detriment to the character, is there was a lot of inconsistency at the time, because mm-hmm. it it he he felt like he was different characters depending on what you were reading. Yeah. So I think that may have been an issue. Um, but not to. To kind of move it along a little bit here, I did want to talk about, um, because we've talked about the story and the art, and Jason himself, I want to talk about a little bit of the impact of this story. Because years later, I mean, because Jason Todd was one of the characters in comics that I believe stayed dead the longest. Like it was, it, it felt like he was one of those characters that wasn't coming back. Yeah and even after he did i would argue cuz you you have those arguments all the time online amongst batman fans should he have stayed dead or should he not have mm-hmm. and i would argue that no matter which way you play it whether he stays dead or whether he comes back as he did he is still batman's greatest failure
1: mm-hmm.
0: and even though even the jason todd that came back is not the jason todd that died so i think it's it's a I think it's one of the most important Batman stories ever written because it has shaped the Batman mythology and how we view Batman as a character so much over the years. Because I grew up always seeing Jason's uniform hanging in the Batcave, mm-hmm. knowing what that meant and knowing you know, why Batman keeps it up. So it's always part of the Batman mythos to me ever since I was a kid. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think the impact of this story has been?
1: Well, it's funny because when you, when you think of this, it's hard not to think of The Killing Joke also where both of those stories are so impactful. The Killing Joke is a controversial one where it's kind of split down the middle of what fans think of it, mm-hmm. the story itself. This one is almost unanimously accepted as not a great story, but the concept had such an impact and the... You know, the idea to kill off Robin had such a lasting impact. Everyone's on the same page with that. It's weird, though, to think that something that had this much impact came from a story that most people don't really care for. But the impact of the story has lasted for years and years and years. And I agree with you that it, he will always be his greatest failure. We've talked about that even on the Jason Todd episode that we did. Um, And bringing him back might not have been my favorite thing. But I think as long as you bring him back and keep him the failure, it's okay. I would argue Jason being a normal member of the bat family. Now, if they, cause sometimes they go that route where he's just a regular member of the bat family. He doesn't kill. He doesn't do anything. He's not supposed to do. He's just one of Batman's members. That to me is more detrimental to the death of Robin than bringing him back alive. I, I Cause then to me he's just one of the guys and I don't want that I want Jason to have his own moral code that's the whole point of him coming back and being a failure still um I yeah I think the old saying was and I've heard this saying said numerous times with numerous characters but it was always like uh no one stays dead in comics but Uncle Ben Bucky and I've heard Jason Todd included in that and um Bucky and Jason Todd both came back around the same time with very similar stories, which obviously is not a mistake when it comes to comics that happens Mm, all the time. But yeah, I, I mean, at some point something has to be done to bring the attention back to the fact that Robin was killed. And I think under the red hood did that is it almost brought more attention to Batman's greatest failure. And I just, I think that the story was done well. If that story is not done well, then it just ruins it completely. And again, I, I, I go back to the whole, uh, it depends how you handle Jason going forward after he's living. You can't have him. In my opinion, you, you can never go fully redeemed with Jason after the way you brought him back. But.
0: Well, I think what's, what's most ironic to me is I see a ton of people, you know, almost in the same breath oh jason todd never should have came back he never should have been brought back under the red hoods my favorite batman anime movie. <laughs> right <laughs> you know so, it's like
1: and i'm kind of one of those people like i i don't even fault people for having that opinion because i get it cuz i don't think i would have ever if you asked me would you bring him back i would have said no nonstop like that would have been my answer but if you never brought him back and we've said this numerous times, look at all the stories you'd be missing out on. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some great stories with Red Hood. And again, I, I think it, it was done in a in a proper way and it brought more attention to the failure. Um, and I think he stayed dead for a long enough time where that was okay.
0: Well, and, and what I will say is I agree with you on the point that I think red hood is still at his most effective when he is maybe an extension of the bat family. Like yes. they bring him in occasionally when it's something that they need him for, but otherwise nobody's but not happy about it. No, nobody, but yeah, nobody's comfortable with Jason enough to keep him around. Um, and I think, and again, you and I, we can't hide our love for Titans. I love what they did in season four where they send where Dick sends Tim to train with Jason for a little bit, but uh-huh. he doesn't want Jason on the team. Exactly. He wants to keep him at a, at arm's length. Yeah. And, and I, some of the st- Batman stories in the comics have done that effectively where Batman will still. It's almost like Red Hood has become a tool in the toolbox. Uh-huh. He will use him when necessary, but he doesn't he doesn't want that association. If that makes
1: sense. I also like how on Titans, like Jason knows he's not accepted and he doesn't want to be a part of that. Like he doesn't believe he deserves it. And he's okay with that too. That I think is also that happy medium. Cause like as stupid as this is going to sound, it bothers me when Jason uses red rubber bullets. Like, no, like that's not, (laughs) I feel like that's such a no red hoods, the punisher. Yeah. Like, I feel like, like he, yeah. Like, why would he even use a gun then? Like like he doesn't, mm-hmm. he's trained to not have to use a gun. He's using the gun because he wants to use the gun. Mm-hmm. So, and again, it's kind of a tangent here, but I, yeah, there's a lot of things. I, I feel like if you want to tell different stories in the Batman comics, Jason should be your tool. If yep. you're just telling Jason as a member of the Bat family, why bother? Unfortunately, that's what's happened with Tim over the years is because Tim has that, he's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle because he doesn't have enough separating him from the rest of the Bat family, which is a shame because we all loved him. Mm-hmm. That's probably why Jason and even Damien have gotten so much more popular because there's there's more um, differing stories you could tell with those characters now.
0: Well, yeah, and, and to your point, I mean, I know this is not popular and everybody knows that I love Damien, but unfortunately, to the detriment of Tim, I think that's why Damien has almost... Excelled Tim Drake's level of popularity, like he's jumped past it because he is so different, mm-hmm. and he's not like you know because Tim will always love Tim because he wants to be Robin, you know, and that's he loves the yeah. idea of Batman and Robin, but he, I think people have a hard time figuring out how to write him sometimes. Um,
1: it's, it's hard writing new stories for him. I think that's what it exactly. Is, is how yeah. do you get his stories to stand out and? I also don't think it helps that you had a hundred issues of Chuck Dixon writing Robin solo stories, which were awesome. I feel like people don't know how to do new, interesting stories with that character either on his own or, I mean, I, I personally think the best thing we've gotten with Tim in years is, um, Tynion's detective run. I I think that was great. Um, I agree. You know, he did a lot of great stuff with the bat family in that run. Um, Ironically enough, Jason did not show up very much in that run. No. Um, But yeah, let's get back to that. Let's get back to Jason here. Well, I I
0: will say, I think Jason, current Jason, post death in the family, I think current Jason is at his best when it's things like Red Hood and the Outlaws. Yes. When he can be separate from the Bat family, still sort of a hero, anti-hero area, Mm -hmm. but he's doing his own thing.
1: And Batman's I think, there to keep him in check sometimes. Like, I love right. those, those mix-ups where he's in Gotham and Batman's like, what are you doing in my city? Like, you know you're not supposed to be here. Um, yeah. I don't want you doing this crap in my city. Like, I love those kind of confrontations between the two of them. Um, yeah, that Outlaw's run with Pizarro um, and uh, Artemis oh, was so much fun.
0: But again, I do think, I think Batman... Seeing that Jason has is back. But seeing him in that red hood, in that costume, doing mm-hmm. what he does, I think is every bit the reminder of his failure as the Robin suit is hanging in the Batcave. Mm-hmm. And that's why I personally I'm glad they brought him back because I think it adds another depth, a level of depth to that story, and continues to remind Batman this is why I can't go down that road again, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. I, I definitely agree. And we wouldn't have all these stories without a death in the family. But I also love the fact that would we be talking about a death in the family as much as we are if Jason never came back? Would he kind of be the forgotten Robin if he never came back in... What was it? Two thousand seven, two thousand, yeah, something like that. Two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I mean, think about that. If he had never come back, if we hadn't had fifteen years of these stories, sixteen years of these stories,
0: I, I honestly, be- without, um, without under the red hood, the story, or under the hood, whatever you want to call it, I think when they start rebooting with the new fifty two and then with rebirth. I think Jason gets lost in the shuffle and I think it, I I don't think he comes. I don't think there's, there's much mention of him after that, but I think the impact of uh, whether you like it or hate it, what happened in hush and what happened in under the red hood, I think that brought Jason back to prominence and it makes that a very important story and brought like light back to a death in the family. Yeah. So, and now 35 years later, we've got deluxe editions and, it's a very, you know, it's a very important story, regardless of whether you think it's great or good or or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a hugely impactful story, and, and I'm glad we got to to talk about it a little bit here. Um, but is, is there any other big, huge key points you wanted to bring up about A no, Death I in the just, Family?
1: Just think about the fact that we're here talking about A Death in the Family, and our, our conversation naturally went right to Red Hood. I think that says mm-hmm. a lot, because I think that character is more interesting than what we got in this story. And we can only talk so much about this story because yeah, it's, it's not the perfect story. I mean, we didn't even touch on the mother and all that because I think it is kind of minuscule. It's more about the grand scheme of the the concept of the story that we wanted to talk about, because that is the important stuff here. It's the, you know, the fact that the fans voted to kill this, this kid off. I know there's the controversy about someone that had the automatic dialer and all that kind of stuff, but Imagine how, (laughs) I didn't even think of this. If he lives in this story, do we ever talk about this story ever again?
0: No, I think it's it's a footnote. I think it's one of those 88 comics that just like, it's probably in the 10 cent box. Like how crazy
1: is it to think of that? Like if it was just, he lives and that was it.
0: You know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I do want to discuss this. How legitimate do you think the results were?
1: How do you make a story titled "The Death in the Family" if you didn't want to kill him off? Right. See, because like, like, I mean, I get it. DC does a lot of stuff just for publicity too. So I could see them putting a book out called "A Death in the Family" and not. I mean, and not going through with it. I can see that because they're selling their books no matter what. You're selling it with the promise of what's going to happen, and if he lives in issue three, you already sold those books. But, well, I mean, they did release a wedding issue with no wedding. Like they do this. <laughs> they so, do, but, and, and I know
0: you've probably heard the story because, because we've all heard of people like, like our buddy, Jamie Drewley, who says, you know, he called to have yeah. Jason killed. Um, But we, I don't know if you've heard this, but I've heard this many times over the years that, supposedly there was a guy somewhere who set up a robo dialer
1: yeah that's what, so i was saying that an automatic dialer whatever it's called and yeah
0: call to have jason killed
1: thousands like of times. thousands of times yes it reminds me of like the simpsons episode with the, the yeah thing the bird thing
0: and the margin <laughs> the margin between him dying and him living was very slight yes so that, i'm
1: surprised by yeah today he'd be dead like, like oh, it yeah. wouldn't even... just for the shock value. Yes, like people would just like, oh, let's see if they'll do it or not. Like that's just what people do today. It's funny yeah. to me that back then everyone hated this character, but still wouldn't vote to have him killed.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I guess my thing is. It's just like, how legitimate was it if there was supposedly robo dialers and automatic mm-hmm. dialers and all this? Well, back and, then, I
1: guess it was harder to monitor that kind of stuff, too. Right? Yeah. You uh, had to yeah. pay, too. It wasn't a 1-800 number. It was a 1-900 number. 900 number, number. Yeah. yeah. So you had to pay. So that's probably their way of saying, okay, we're not going to get a lot of people calling more than once. Because if you have to pay, it kind of legitimizes it by itself. And I don't think they care because it got so much publicity for it.
0: Which also, if that guy was using an auto dialer, what was his phone bill if he had to pay yeah, for all
1: this? What was it like? Twenty five cents a call. Let me see. I wonder if it's
0: on that page. Yeah, I just want to check I, it really quick. So
1: you're you're selling this damn upgraded version now because I don't have any of that stuff in mind. That's really so, cool about that.
0: Let's see. You'll be charged fifty cent for each call, which will be connected to an acknowledgement message. So fifty, so 50 cent cents, a call.
1: Fifty cents back then. Is that like two dollars and fifty cents now? Maybe more. Because think about it, comics back then were only like fifty cents, so figure a comic yeah. now is five bucks. Yeah,
0: that's an yeah, expensive that's,
1: call. That is. <laughs> yeah, because when we had payphones, it was only twenty five cents for a call. Towards yeah. the end, it was fifty cents. But... So if you
0: called this number from a payphone, that was called cost, cost, costing you seventy five cents a pop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, and now we're yeah, aging so, ourselves big time. So yeah, I just think that's it's interesting to think about. Um, how legitimate it was but either way I think like you said and I have never thought about that before but do we even talk about this book if if he lives and I don't think so I think you're right
1: we talk about it a lot less that's for sure I think it might come up because of the whole calling and to save him but if he lives where does Jason go from there I mean think about how drastically different the Batman comics would be if Jason lived in this story
0: yeah I think think ever gotten Tim I think DC was ready to kill him. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, the, the last thing I did want to touch on, of course we, a few years ago and it's kind of become a footnote itself. We did get the, the, the little interactive um, animated film, a death in the family oh, that I forgot about that. Yeah, exactly. So um, it was the only reason I remembered it is because there's, there's art for it in the back of this book. Okay. Um. There's, you know, there's the little, that's it they they put the cover in the back of the book kind of like a footnote like it happened um but yeah it's it's interesting because they did bring back uh the the voices some of the voices for it and i thought it was a neat idea that really didn't go anywhere like once you've gotten over the appeal of being able to choose and going through it i think you watch it once and you're kind of done it did not live up to Under the Red Hood at all. So, but I did think it was worth a mention since it's it's a death in the family.
1: No, I agree, and I remember really being excited for that when it was released. And I'll be honest, I I, I do think it was a fun new thing to try. I think the whole choose your ending thing was cool. Um, I think the biggest detriment to that in the grand scheme of things is most people don't use the disc anymore, and you could only do it on the disc version. So that probably hurt a lot of it um and when you watch the digital version if i remember correctly it just plays through a very quick version of the recap of under the red hood right like it's it's pretty quick and now that you said i should go back and watch it because it's only like 20 minutes long if you just watch like the regular version it's not yeah it's not very long at all um they did some fun different things with some of the other characters like they had they had their version of um you know what they would do if he survived I thought it was cool but again it's it's not something I revisit very often I, I haven't revisited since we got it but yeah definitely worth mentioning and I, I thought it was a cool experiment that hey it didn't pan out but I like when DC tries those things
0: yeah same this one didn't didn't work out but I mean it is it is a part of the the history of a death in the family and it marks how important that story is so I thought it was worth a mention Mm-hmm. But anyway, Joe, I think I think that's a good spot to to put a pin in it for this episode. Um, but before we do sign out, I did want to mention that Joe and I just received a copy of the upcoming uh, book from Inside Editions, and it's called Batman, the Multiverse of the Dark Knight, an illustrated guide. And uh, a big thank you to our friend Jay Yaws who hooked us up with this. Um, but I did want to mention it because I think it's worth you guys checking out. It's kind of a look into the bat computer and it's a look at all of these different multiversal Batman. Um, so you got your copy, right, Joe?
1: Yes, I did. Thank you very much, Jay. That was really nice of you to send that over.
0: Yeah. So I just think it's a really fun, neat little uh,
1: coffee table book. Is that how you would? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. It's like a, it's cool because it's its own thing. It's it's like one of those, like I have like the Batman encyclopedia. It's like a new version of that. Like it, you know, it all sorts of different types of bat, all versions of it. Um, Really, really just a fun read.
0: Yeah. But I think it's really neat how it's constructed. I don't know if you've flipped through. I'm sure you have flipped through yours, but mm-hmm. the front and back have these really nice, uh, like embossed little Batman emblems through the front mm-hmm. and back covers, which I think is really neat. So definitely worth checking out. I think it's available for pre-order, I saw it on Amazon recently. So go check that out, guys. Uh, That's new from Inside Editions, written by Matthew uh, Manning, who I think has been on the Batman Book Club
1: for some of his other books. So
0: maybe he did the complete history of Batman? Is he the one that did that? Maybe. I'll have to look back through. But anyway, guys, yep, that's Batman, the Multiverse of the Dark Knight, an illustrated guide. So check that out uh, for those pre-orders. But Joe... I think that's where we're going to end it for tonight. So thank you so much uh, for joining me for this look back at a death in the family. And why don't you let everybody know where they can find you on social media.
1: Okay. So I was right. I I got that pretty quick. um, Batman, a visual history was what Matthew Manning was on Batman book club for. I remember him. Nice. Um, So yeah, thank you for having me. This was fun. Um, Sorry for all for the the week wait guys. Uh we had a lot of scheduling issues this past week. Um most of it was my fault. Um just family stuff, nothing wrong or anything, but you know, just crazy to schedule this, but I'm glad we finally got it out and hopefully it won't be this long for our next episode when we get into the spooky stuff. Um you guys can find me on Twitter or X and Instagram and Letterboxd as J411. And you can find me on Facebook as Joe Fornarato, uh, F-O-R-N-A-R-O-T-T-O. So thanks again, Eric.
0: Absolutely. And for myself, you can find my personal accounts on Instagram, X, and Letterboxd. That's MeCarter89, 89, M-E-Carter89. 89. The show can be found on Twitter, Facebook, or Twitter or X, Facebook and Instagram at TFR BatPod. Once again, if you have thoughts or questions or suggestions for episodes, you can shoot us an email that's tfrbatpod at gmail.com. If you're looking for a way to support the show, the best way to do that is to just leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. If you do leave a review on Apple podcasts, we will read those on the show as well as the emails you're looking for another way to support the show we don't ask that you spend a dime on this show but if you'd like to you can go to redbubble.com and search shop tfr all one word and find our awesome logos created by Justin Kowalski and all kinds of merchandise there our theme music was created by the very talented Gaurav Vinakeswar and his music can be found at gvtunes.com But until next time, when we dive all into the spooky aspects of Batman for myself and Joe, we'll see you next time. And until then, make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointed skyward. created by bill finger and bob kane and is the sole property of warner brothers discovery the fire rises a batman podcast is in no way associated with warner brothers discovery dc comics or dc studios the thoughts and opinions of the participants of this show are their own and do not represent the companies that they work for thank you for listening we'll see you on the next episode